Welcome to the Farmers Weekly Podcast. This episode was recorded on Thursday the 2nd of April 2020. I'm Hugh Broom. And I'm Farmers Weekly Chief Reporter Johan Tasker. Later on, we'll be talking to some young farmers who've joined the national effort in the fight against coronavirus. On the markets, the milk prices crashed for some and why one farmer thinks potatoes are a good alternative to pasta. The coronavirus shutdown of food service is impacting on red meat and putting real pressure on livestock markets. We'll be finding out more. And with the weather finally turning dry, spring crops are getting in the ground. We'll get an update from Yorkshire. But first, footpaths. Now, I don't know about you, but the other weekend I have never seen so many people walking in the countryside. It was a bit like Brighton Beach here on my farm in Surrey, uh, and it does represent some challenges. The coronavirus lockdown means more people are taking their government-approved daily exercise locally, and many are rediscovering long-forgotten highways and byways. Which is great if it's all done responsibly. The countryside is a fantastic place to be. But it has also led to calls for footpaths to be closed, especially near farmhouses and farmyards. We went to find an expert on viruses to answer some questions. Professor Mark Fielder is the president of the Society of Applied Microbiology. He's also an academic at Kingston University. And I started by asking him if a person with a virus was to sneeze whilst walking across farmland, what would the risk actually be? In the context that you just played out of the virus landing on the floor or or landing in the farmyard somewhere, that's probably not much of a risk. This is one of the reasons why the social distancing that the government suggested is so, so important. Keeping at least two metres apart and not having contact with people who are not in your immediate household family. So not visiting friends and relatives and what have you. So as long as the farmers are maintaining that that distance between them and members of the public, they should be absolutely fine. The virus hitting the floor and you coming in contact with it after it's hit the floor is an extremely unlikely um, scenario. Gates on paths are a concern as walkers have to touch them. Is there more of a possibility of transmission there? Potentially more of a possibility in sense of the patient might ha- who's deposited the virus may have a higher viral load. One study suggested that a 1% bleach solution rubbed over surfaces might be helpful. So I'm not for a second suggesting that farmers go around with a bucket of bleach bleaching all their gates, but they may want to rub a bleach over areas that are high handful. So perhaps near locks and catches uh, maybe where, where people most likely put their hands just before they, they open, open them themselves. So that could be a possibility. But again, the experiments that have been done showing these viruses survive for a reasonable amount of time have all been done in the laboratory. They've not been done for obvious reasons out in the real world scenario. So other aspects like UV and and rainwater washing uh, might well have a positive effect in reducing the number of virus that's possible in the real world. How do you protect farmyard areas where people are working and living? Maybe you could put a, a set of makeshift barriers up, which means that you're staff and yourself are kept two meters or more away from members of the public um, so that, you know, that there's a clear line and delineation between where you like the public to walk and where you or your staff are working uh, so that might be an easy way of getting around that just by putting up some some sort of a barrier to prevent people coming in within the two meters distance so maintaining the social distancing rules microbiologist professor mark fielder there from kingston university when i stopped to talk to these people around my farm obviously maintaining a bit of a social distance um, they are really thankful to be getting out their one bit of exercise a day they make best use of our countryside this is surely just about being sensible and keeping your distance 
I think you're right. I think closing the countryside at this stage would be a step too far, especially from what Mark was saying earlier on. I think so long as we are respectful of one another, and most people are, and we observe social distancing, and that goes for walkers and farmers alike, I think we should be okay. Let's hope so anyway. Exactly. And actually, the one thing that's probably, to my, to my mind, to, well, for me, has been more of a nuisance, is the dogs. It's the dogs that aren't on the lead. You're trying to get up the lane from A to B with a tractor, and you have to stop for six families to get all the dogs called in, all the kids on the side, and then get past. If everyone could just form an orderly queue, it would make life a lot easier. Especially at this time of year, we've got lambing in full swing. Um, people who don't perhaps understand where they're walking, they really do need to keep their dogs on a lead and be respectful of, of their surroundings. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. And at this point, we'd like to say a special thank you to one of this week's Farmers Weekly Podcast sponsors, Yara Crop Nutrition, who've made this episode possible. With your next tea timing, Yara recommends applying Yara Vita Gramitrel to supply key micronutrients required for cereals during rapid growth and development. The Farmer's Weekly Podcast. Social distancing isn't just affecting walkers, it's affecting everyone involved in agriculture, from farm vets to lorry drivers making deliveries. Earlier, I caught up with Yorkshire agronomist Patrick Stevenson and asked him how he is continuing to do his job while making sure his farmer clients stay safe. We're most sensitive uh, and aware to the fact that the average age in farming is north of 60 and we are being very aware of how we keep in contact with our clients and obviously social distancing is our lead. From our day-to-day -day working within the job, the restrictions haven't impinged that much on us. But whereas normally we would have gone to see the client, maybe even have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, uh, that part of it has, has stopped. And in terms of what you're seeing out in the field, what sort of things are you picking up at the moment? That wind isn't getting any warmer and the temperature's still a bit low, so it's cold and presumably growth is slow. Um, yes, we have basically stopped uh, most growth, as it appears, from that cold weather. But... We're really, really pleased that the rain eventually has stopped. And that has meant that drilling has really moved on at a great pace now. And uh, we're getting to the stage where we've, we, we're approaching the, the heavier, more bodied land where we're envisaging having a few more difficulties in keeping moisture in, which sounds silly considering the amount of rain we've had over winter. But once you've disturbed these heavy clays and with the weather that we've been having, they dry out very quickly. So we're, we're sort of cornering down to areas where we have to consider whether fallow is, is a better option or we hope that there'll be rain following to make sure that we get the seed to move and grow. And what sorts of things are people putting in? There's been winter seed in the shed and demand for spring seed has been high. So what's going in the ground? Up until the end of February, it was still a wheat-dominated uh, drilling decision. Uh, once we've hit March, the switch has really come into the spring crops uh, across the board so beans barley oats uh, some spring wheat uh, we still have odds and sods of skyfall going in which is really at the end of where i would be comfortable putting skyfall in at all so i think there is a little element of risk there for those growers who are continuing on with that as a, a policy but with the price differential between spring barley and wheat being as as large as it currently is uh, 
uh, there is a financial incentive to go that way. We started off trying to get the beans in. We feel that those are the most responsive to an earlier drilling, assuming the soils are perfectly all right, moving on to oats and, and now very large acreages of spring barley. And in terms of the ground you look after, Patrick, what uh, sort of percentage of winter crops actually got in this season? We eventually managed to get up to somewhere near 70, 75% that we drilled. Uh, We are now uh, knocking some of that area up because uh, there was a dry period in January. We then hit the the three storms on the trough and the plant populations, when you walk around those late drilled weeds are insufficient. We failed to get an economic crop out of it. So some of those, it's a small amount, have been re-drilled with spring barley. So I think we'll end up with a a proportion closer to 70% of uh, winter drillings and 30% of, of spring drillings. Hi, it's Kirsty from KWS here. So you're starting to think about variety choice for this autumn's plantings. So when choosing a variety, there are obvious topics like yield and disease resistance, but also getting your workloads right at spring and harvest are key. In our portfolio of wheats, we have KWS Parking. It's new and it's ready for drilling this autumn. KWS Parking is a reflection and Costello cross that takes all the good agronomics of reflection, which you'll remember, of early maturity and a good field performance and combines that with the excellent yellow rust resistance and good grain package of Costello. You won't find KWS Parking on the recommended list because it didn't quite make the grade for yield but we at KWS think it's truly unique. It sets a new standard for ripening. The official score for ripening comes in at a minus one for parking compared with the sky full control at a zero and at a time when there's nothing below a zero for maturity on the RL This score of minus one really makes parking truly special and it allows you to get your grain in the shed and move your harvest on quickly. Caterwurst Parking is a great choice for growers that are looking for something different. You're listening to the Farmers Weekly Podcast. I'm Johan Tasker. Time to start looking at these markets. They've been all over the place with this virus and I'm joined by Farmers Weekly Business Editor Susie Horn. Susie, the dairy market is in turmoil. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it really all depends on you know, who, who your processor is and what market they're in. Um, everybody, even in the, the liquid milk markets, which take about 50% of, of the milk we produce in the UK, everybody would like higher prices there. Muller has gone up a penny a litre for May, and um, we've had some other price holds from important um, processors. But others have seen cuts, and the ones that have been hardest hit are the ones that supply the food service sector, the restaurants, the cafes, and so on. We've seen some cutting prices, some offering part payments to farmers while they arrange some financing, um, and some uh, some uh, just holding their price for now. But there's going to have to be a, a home found for this milk, and I think a lot of people think, well, the demand is so high in the liquid sector, what, why isn't it just going into the supermarkets when we see empty shelves? But the, the liquid processes that are already in that market, they're seeing, you know, we're approaching the spring flush, so their intake of milk is increasing anyway, and while they might be buying bits here and there on the spot market, they've really got enough milk at the moment to deal with. The processes that were relying on the food service sector are having to look for alternative markets. The spot market can't take it all. Some of it will go into powder, some of it will go into butter and cheese and get stored, but it's, that's creating pressure sort of all, all the way along the line, really. And these markets are you know, having to adjust to huge changes in demand. 
beef's another one where that's being seen and lamb as well we'll be taking an in-depth look at beef and lamb in a moment but um what about other commodities what about cereal prices on the wheat market, it's a little bit lower this week. Um, on the prices that Farmers Weekly collects, it's about £2.50 a tonne down to average £153 a tonne ex-farm for spot movement. That's lower than it was three weeks ago, but it's still higher than where it's been for most of this year so far. Oilseed rapes down a bit, but it's, it's holding reasonably well at about £306 a tonne spot at the moment. Having said that, the rape meal market has gone up because um, there's less oilseed rape being crushed because so much of that in turn goes into biodiesel. Much of our rapeseed being exported to um, to mainland Europe produced biodiesel. Soya meal was a big shocker. Last week it shot up by about £80 a tonne. It's back down again this week to between sort of 375 and 380 a tonne for April deliveries. Two weeks ago it was £310 a tonne. So huge, huge pushes and pulls in, in all directions. Pushes and pulls indeed, and across a lot of sectors. Potatoes are another victim of market distortion. Cambridgeshire farmer Tom Clark has a lot more spuds in store than he normally would at this time of year. Nearly all of our crops from two or three fields are, are still in store. We've been storing them over the winter, ready to supply fish and chip shops, mainly along the east coast, and they have all shut. And the prices we're being offered have dropped by £100 a tonne. Massive store full of potatoes. Uh, towards the end of the, the period which we can store them, you know, they're going to want to do what nature intended and start sprouting very soon. So we've got a massive headache. And if we can't move them, if we can't shift them somewhere, um, you know, we're going to have to dump them, which would be a tragedy. And you flagged this up on Twitter, Tom, and uh, suggested that potatoes are a great substitute for pasta. And you got a fantastic response. There's so many people out there who want to you know, support local growing food. I mean, potatoes are something we, we do in this country. And, um, you know, uh, unlike pasta, which is all imported, you know, that's probably why it's run out. But we have loads and loads of, of potatoes in store. And if people, are, you know, on the tweet, people were reminiscing about um, their favourite jacket potato toppings and homemade chips and all the rest of it. And that's great if we can get a bit of that spirit and uh, people can start buying sacks of potatoes direct from farmers we, we stand a chance. What we're really counting on is um, the supermarkets really um, coming to the rescue. I'm hoping uh, supermarkets will be a bit practical in these times and, and open up the, uh, the stores for some direct marketing from farmers. It would be fantastic if they could. Otherwise, it does look like we'll have to dump a lot. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. Now turning to the red meat sector, and that's not escaped its share of market upset brought on by the coronavirus crisis. Retail sales in recent weeks have shot up by as much as 150%, but at the same time, some farm gate prices have dropped dramatically. Auction marts are being challenged as they implement social distancing. John Royal from the NFU told me how the retail landscape has been changing. Clearly we've seen a bit of panic buying, you know, booking up from from consumers and we've also seen some recessionary buying behavior so people have effectively traded down and you've seen sales of mince stewing beef etc selling particularly well and and less so the sort of more high value cuts in terms of sheep meat we've seen um, you know really really strong demand two or three weeks ago and then literally over the weekend many of the export orders into the eu with the closure of their food service market just literally cancelled overnight and that fed through immediately to uh, the livestock markets 
where we saw quite a significant price crash of upwards of 40-50%. We've seen some bounce back since. Clearly that food service market into Europe is incredibly important for our sheep meat exports. You know, restaurants or brasseries, you know, are big customers for British lamb. And the one thing with lamb, it doesn't redirect as well as beef would do from food service into retail. Volume sales at retail doesn't necessarily mean better returns at the farm gate. No, it doesn't. You know, because of that recessionary buying behaviour that we're seeing in, in retail at the moment, um, to keep pace with that demand for mince and, and cheaper cuts, more of the carcass is being minced, and therefore that then has issues with the carcass balance because the balance that carcass is made up of the cell are the more expensive cuts. We're also a little bit concerned about the oversupply in Ireland. So the Irish beef trade traditionally... Um, had large markets into EU food service. And with that market now closed, there is the potential that there is quite a lot of surplus Irish beef floating around the whole of Europe. And that could fall anywhere between 15 and 20 cents a kilo in the coming weeks. And that would be a very, very attractive proposition uh, for British retail. So again, we're quite concerned that that may have a deflationary effect on the UK price. Richard Evans is one of the auctioneers at Welshpool Market. He told me that his market is now a very different place. So the atmosphere has completely disappeared. Obviously there's nobody chatting. People are, you know, observing the social distancing, which is a must at this, uh, you know, in, in the circumstances we find ourselves in. But it's uh, it's a very strange place. Usually it's a hub and, a, and there's a buzz around the market. It's had a reflection in the, in the amount of stock we're having, especially the lamb price. Unbelievable to think that only a fortnight ago we were seeing prices at 240 to 250 pence a kilo. Here we are um, struggling to sell the lamb at this moment in time, you know, and we're in the 180s, 190s. Um, it's a fair drop. And going forward, this isn't going to go away quickly. So there's going to be some challenges in the months ahead. We can still hold prime stock and, and store sales, but breeding stock, that, that has been stopped at this moment in time. So obviously there's ewes and hogs and lambs that are going to be coming for sale traditionally now in April and May that at this moment in time we, we haven't decided how we're going to deal with that again cows and calves the breeding bull sales we're heading towards you know the time when we have our, our, our pedigree charolais sales and our limousine sales and salaire bull sales obviously at this moment in time we can't hold those on site the challenges faced by the traditional live markets have though created an upsurge in online interest andrew loftus is from sell my livestock breeding sheep almost double what they would normally be uh, towards the end of march breeding cows are up about 125 percent and breeding heifers are up nearly 400% on the same period last year. We have about 65,000 UK farmers who use our website regularly and about 30,000 searches every week at the moment. So the simplest thing to set up is we can give them a, a effectively a digital shop windows. What we're saying is if they have private treaty consignments that they're offering for sale on behalf of their clients, they can put those consignments onto our system, they can upload them for free, under that auction mart's own branding and offer them to, to our users. And, of course, if one of our users, uh, a potential buyer, wants to purchase that consignment of stock, it would ring the auction mart company who is acting on behalf of the seller. And the auction mart company will continue to handle the payment just as they do at the moment, and they would take their commission in the normal way. So we think this is the sort of the easiest way that an auction mart can engage with us and that relationship between the auction mart and its sellers remains sacrosanct. We're talking to quite a few different markets at the moment. Uh, I had a, a great conversation with a young auctioneer yesterday. I mean, this auctioneer totally got the concept. I mean, to him, it seemed obvious that in a world where 
estate agents use Rightmove every day or where car dealers use AutoTrader, why shouldn't he, as a, a professional livestock marketing business, use a platform like ours to reach new customers? My fear is that he will go and talk to some of his senior partners. And just because they're just not in the digital age, they won't, they won't take up this offer. They won't make use of it because their minds just aren't in that spot. But I really hope the, the young fellow you know, is able to get that message across because I think it's to the you know, long-term advantage of, of this industry and his business. The current challenge is facing the beef and lamb sectors. Now, there's no getting away from the coronavirus, and not surprisingly, it's featured a lot in this very first Farmers Weekly podcast. But despite all the problems with the markets, farms, as ever, everywhere across the country are just getting on with it. And as well as just getting on with running their farm businesses, as they always do, there are members of the farming community getting out there and helping everyone else. Now, you've been speaking to some of these people, Johan. That's right. Lots of people across the farming community have been helping out and young farmers in particular have been working hard to support the elderly and vulnerable in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Volunteers from young farmers clubs have been delivering food, medicine and other essential supplies as well as speaking to people in self-isolation on the phone. They include Probus YFC in Cornwall and I asked the club Sam Oti where the idea came from. It's uh, something that I thought about when I saw other other support and volunteer groups across the whole of the UK helping people that are in need, whether that be the elderly, the vulnerable, anyone that may need assistance. And I thought this might be a really, really great concept for us as young farmers. We're a, we're a huge organisation across the whole of the UK. Um, and as a club, I thought that this would be something that as members we can get involved in. So what, what we're offering is um, assistance to the elderly and vulnerable during this time, whether that be food shopping, um, electric and gas meter top ups. Uh, but we're also on the end of the phone if, if people want to speak to us and want a bit of reassurance. These support groups are springing up all over the country. And we're also joined by Georgia Betts and Holly White from Worksop YFC in Nottinghamshire. We are doing care packages for mainly the elderly and some vulnerable um, of essential foods. We came up with the idea because um, where we meet in Blythe, their local shop actually got broken into. And obviously that's um, where most of the elderly people in Blythe go to shop. So we thought there was um, no better place really than to help our local um, community where we meet. And Holly White, uh, what sort of reaction have you had? Um, the people that receive the packages, we've had so many grateful responses and nothing but love and appreciation. Because obviously now more than ever, they need people like us and organisations like us to help them. And what exactly are in these care packages? So we actually did a local shop and we gathered before all of the craziness happened um and we've put like the essentials in so we went for like tinned foods like soup and like pot noodles and stuff uh, we've got the basic toiletries some toilet roll in there biscuit tea coffee so yeah we just put the essentials in there and stuff that would be okay and not go out of date obviously sam you've had tremendous success with this in cornwall are you managing to keep up with demand to be honest, I'll be totally honest with you, it started off very slowly. Um, we, we found that people weren't really needing our services straight away. However, we were putting ourselves out there to, to everyone. Um, however, I would say over the past week, it's kind of got, it 
like busier and busier and we, we we're now sort of at a level where we know what we need to do we've got a lot of support from our members um and also cornwall white cornwall yfc as a whole since what we saw sort of started is now grown and, and other clubs across the county have started started offering similar services which is great because we've now built up a really nice network of support groups and obviously across the whole country there's a lot of support groups that are being set up um, so between us all, we're we're all working really hard together, um, in sort of in unity, to be able to to work together and to help our community. That has been the very first Farmers Weekly podcast. Now we hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week when, amongst other things, we'll be looking at a scheme designed to help match sheep farmers up with sheep shearers. With an international travel ban in place, finding people to shear the sheep is not proving to be easy this year. And with the weather warming up, we'll be looking at the latest in agronomy. I'm Farmers Weekly Chief Reporter, Johan Tasker. And I'm Hugh Broom. And until next week, goodbye.